Welcome to Begin Again. Thank you for joining us again this week. I have a conversation today with my friend Dan Ofchenik. He and I have known each other for half of our lives, over half of our lives, and it was a real a real pleasure and an honor to have him on the show. He has overcome a lot in just a few years, um, a lot that most people don't experience in their whole lifetimes, uh, let alone in the span of a decade. And he opened up about a lot of that on the show today and talked about how where he has come from has made him the person that he is personally and professionally and um, just an incredible story of resilience and strength and overcoming some some real trauma in his life and I hope that you enjoy this conversation I hope that it adds value to your life Uh, just a heads up just a note if you are particularly sensitive about issues around family trauma or addiction uh, or suicide we address some of those things today so um, just know that before you go in and I can't wait for you to hear the story of this incredible man and his and his resilient beautiful life on a slightly lighter note, if it sounds like there are chickens in the background for the first half hour or so of this podcast, it's because there are chickens in the background. <laughs> we record most of the episodes at my house in Nashville, uh, specifically in my Forest River R-Pod, which is my favorite toy in the world. It's a travel uh, trailer, a camper that I have a lot of fun in, and it's also my little home studio. Uh, I also have chickens, and on this particular particular day, Mabel had a lot to say. So, if you hear chickens in the background, you're not crazy. That's real life. That's my real life. <laughs> okay, y'all enjoy. Well, hey there. Hey, Hello. how's it going? Good. So, we're back in the pod. I am um, here with two of my best friends, one of my longest lifelong friends. Um, I'm so excited that they're here today. Um, I'm excited for you guys to hear some stories from Dan and Roger. But first, I'll let them introduce themselves. Tell us, tell us who you are, fellas. Yeah, I'm I'm Dan Ofchnik. I've known Darren for almost 17 years now, I think. Yeah. It's been a long time. What? That's true. I hadn't actually done that math. 2001. Yowza. Yeah. Crazy. Also, I'm Roger Venegas, and uh, by uh, divine intervention, I got to meet Darren, I would say, probably about five years ago. Yeah. And it feels like going on 30, so it's amazing. Yeah, we were just talking about that. This is like the weekend where the worlds have collided. My um, love, Jesse, met Dan and Roger, and some other old high school friends this weekend, and it's just like it fits. Yeah. It's you pick up where you left off every time. It's it's so natural every time with you guys. So it's great. Yeah, that's this is sacred thing about those like deep friendships that like you know where they ca- where where these people came from. Mm-hmm. You don't have to explain anything. It's amazing. Yeah. And your vulnerabilities go away. You feel so safe and yeah. everything is like word vomit just comes out. Yeah. It's like a word vomit. <laughs> yes, it comes but... out and you feel so relieved that you can share that with someone that's not going to judge you and nobody yeah. cares yeah because you're there for that person yeah and there's like nothing to prove yeah, yeah. anyways we love each other we could go on all, all day about how much we love each other um and we probably will we'll probably circle back to that I'm sure we will just adore each other yeah. on tape um so when i started this project this begin again stories of resilience project i knew that i wanted to talk to people who have um 
some sort of story of resilience. Because And then I realized uh, you don't have to look very far. And I realized particularly I don't have to look very far because I'm surrounded by incredibly amazing, resilient people who have gone through things and, and overcome things that most people... I don't know. I was going to say don't experience, but I think that's not the right thing. I think everybody has an experience and that's what makes it so valuable. Um, so anyways, it's a different, it's, it's a different, de- different details and different story and different narration, but, um, like the same core stuff, you know, yeah. that we all have to deal with and the experience of being a human being. And so I just thought if I could get all these people and all these stories in one place, I think we'd realize that, um, we're all pretty resilient if we just, tap into that yeah and going back to when i initially met you i think um, was when we did your rachel's challenge uh time mm-hmm. frame and i think at my point in my life i was still very reserved i was afraid to open those scabs yeah. and just let them reheal themselves properly instead of just keeping picking them over and over and over yeah that moment because we had like an intimate moment where we just sat and we we're doing the hand on hand and That's we just right. dove right into it and then at that moment i felt like wow i can express and not be ashamed because like you said everybody's experience is so much different yeah than the next yeah yeah and i think everybody's craving especially right now craving connection we're craving knowing that the people that we're around every day whether it's relationships that we know or people who are just casual acquaintances at work or whatever to know that somehow some way we're connected and we share something and that's what i mean that's what this is all about is that's what this project, this podcast is all about, is getting the stories of, like, regular people. Like, you see people at work all the time who would have no idea how incredible your stories are and how deep your well of character is. Um, and that's everybody, you know? That's, we walk around these people every day and we just don't know what everybody's story is. So. Yeah. It's, it's, I, I find that is a huge... That's how I approach my work in a daily life, and I don't think a lot of people do that, is I always think about what is that person dealing with, you know? It's, yeah. why Why are they... You know, if they're having a bad day, there's probably something going on. And so it's, you know, instead of ignoring that, it's it's tending to that a bit. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So let's go with that. Um, what do you do? Tell us uh, in a in a nutshell what you do. Because I think a lot of times we hear these stories and like stories of resilience. And now I am a world famous speaker and I give TED Talks and I'm a social media influencer. And that's interesting, but it's not the most relatable. <laughs> like these are, I'm really interested in talking to people who are like, no, I'm still just a person yeah. living in my life and I've, I've overcome some stuff. Yeah. So what do you do? What's your, what's a, what's a day in the life? Of yeah. Dan so my official title actually is Scrum Master, which Scrum. is, a- which I've, We've given him an endless hard time about. Yes, yes. So, um, but it's it's basically like a project manager, but with a, um, with agile development. So I, I work at Toyota Connected up in in Plano, Texas, and um, it's basically just you know kind of being there for the team, um, removing impediments, making sure the team feels valued, that they're producing value, um, and and kind of getting stuff out of their way so that they can do what they do best, which is develop. Um, so it's very much a you know, just kind of interfacing with many different people every day and, and just kind of being there for them in that way. Um, that's, that's, that's kind of how I would describe it. And that's my favorite part of it is being able to help people that way and, and just kind of, you know, let them do a thing. Cause there's some brilliant people that are doing some pretty cool stuff there, but it's cool to be a part of it, at least with yeah. what I'm doing. So, yeah. Yeah. So what is, um, like in your experience, uh, you mentioned, helping people like do their best work and like yeah. feel valued yeah. and let them know that they're producing something of value. Um, can you think of, um, an example or a story where like that was worked out in your job? Like, what does that look like? 
Yeah, it's 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 a lot of conflict resolution. So um, you get mm. a bunch of smart people together in a room. There's bound to be conflict. There's bound to be differences of opinion of how you should do things and and how you go about stuff. So a lot of times it'll it'll be like someone will approach me and be like, you know, we're we're kind of running into something, and and I'd, I want to bring it up to you and let you know that we're we're kind of we always say blocked. You know, we're, we're kind of mm. at a standstill here, um, and and. And so a lot of times I'll, I'll, it's really just a lot of just getting them together and, and having those two or three people work it out together um, and just kind of talk through it and say, okay, well, what's, what's the issue where, you know, why are we stopping here? What is causing us to be blocked? Is it an idea? Is it technology that's, that's preventing us from doing something? Um, and then that's my job is to then, you know, if, if it's not resolved in that, that kind of quick get together that we do, we call them standups or huddles. Um, then I'll go figure it out and whatever that is. If I have to, you know, go all the way up to senior management or, um, whether it's, you know, doing some research on how have other teams handled this kind of thing. Um, so it's a lot, I, I love it too. Cause I get to learn a lot on a daily basis and it's, there's, you know, always something different that comes up. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's mainly just like a conflict resolution. That's, that's where I've seen the most kind of, um, you can just encourage and, and kind of be that, that neutral person in between to help, bring those two people together um and figure it out themselves actually so i really don't solve it i kind of help them solve it yeah that's how i see it yeah so where where did that come from in your life this uh problems so like helping people <laughs> solve problems peacemaker conflict solver yeah. i mean you're at this fancy tech company for heaven's sakes you work at toyota yeah but um you're sounds like you're parenting <laughs> yes so where did um, can you identify where that started yeah, for I, you <laughs> it's a it's a, a long way back i think um i've kind of always just been that person that that wants to help others and i i i just i actually get a joy out of it and i get a joy out of helping fix things um but there's also a lot that's on the other side of that that, that really is you know you neglect yourself a lot of the time and, yeah. and it took me a while to realize that it took people telling me that I was doing that for me to realize it. I didn't mm. realize it myself. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, there's, you know, um, I guess we'll kind of just jump right into it. Yeah. yeah jump okay. in. Um, so I had a really, really great childhood, um, up until I was probably 15 or 16. Um, and probably a year before that, my mom lost her father. Um, and that was the most tragic thing I think that it could have happened for her besides maybe losing mm. me and my brother. Yeah. Um, and she had really struggled with a lot of other things um, from her childhood that had not been resolved. Um, and I think things were not going well between her and my father there towards the end. And I think it was just a lot of things that kind of added up. And, and she started drinking and it started slow. Um, and then it progressively through the years got worse and worse. But it was, it didn't get really bad, I don't think, until probably my freshman year of college. Um, but during that time, it was always kind of... Um, walking on eggshells, you know, around her and my dad, cause my dad was dealing mm. with that. And, um, and my little brother, we kind of kept him out of that for a while, um, just to, you know, kind of pr protect him from that. But it turns out that it, he knew exactly kind of what was going mm. on, um, after we talked about it several years later. Um, but in that, um, there was a lot of kind of me as the older brother taking care of Jake, my younger brother, um, and just trying to isolate him from that and kind of, yeah. You know, if things were going bad, we'd go up and jam to Fleetwood Mac in our room and just turn it all the way up, or I'd go take him for ice cream, or just get him out of there. Um, so I guess at that point, you became the project manager for your family at that point. Yeah, yeah, and this, this, yeah. Roger's talking here, and Roger's, Roger's the one who really has helped me a lot to realize what I was actually going through, and, and kind of um, the neglect that I was giving for myself and my own mental health, um, and uh, in that 
there's a lot of just even someone telling you, hey, um, did you ever realize that this was, did you ever see this? You know, and, mm. and kind of point out something like you, you're kind of the parent there. Um, mm. Do you realize that? And I hadn't, <laughs> I thought it was just kind of what I did, you know, it was, it was the mm. big brother. I just, I just, it was, I, I saw it as my duty because at the time it wasn't really, no one else was really doing it. Um, and I, you know, it's your brother, you take care of him. You, you yeah. want to protect him. Um, and it was, I think it, it, for me, it was, I was slightly older and Jake was slightly younger. And so I think there was more of, um, an impact on him, um, than myself, or I, I'm not really sure kind of what happened with that. Why, why, well, I guess it did really impact me. And it, it wasn't until later that I realized that I kind of pushed that to the side yeah. and put him, put him ahead. Um, and I was kind of like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm fine. Um, let's make sure he's okay. Yeah. Kind of thing. Um, and, and that, that was kind of difficult and, and then it got really, really bad. And, and, um, you know, my parents split and, um, my dad moved to Pittsburgh and, and so, uh, my brother, my brother kind of tagged along with him. Um, and how old are you at this point? You're still in college? Uh, I was, I think I was just out of college whenever it got really bad. I came home and I had been away, but I'd always, I, I, I came back almost every weekend, um, to try and fix stuff. Um, so that's, I, I don't like to have regrets, but that probably is one of my regrets is that I was, mm. um, in hindsight's 2020, but I came back every weekend, um, and I, I kind of made it as like, I just wanted to see my friends, yeah. you know, up, up at home, but it was really more, I would go home and I would, to see how she was and to see what I could do. And, you know, but it, there's, there's a lot of anxiety that goes with that. Cause it's, I felt it was my job right. to fix, fix her, to help her. Yeah. Um, but again, in, in that time, it was, it was just something that was, it was very easy for me at that time. At least I thought it was. Um, yeah. You know, well, was, you were used to it. Yeah. Yeah. And we, as someone who was in kind of your orbit, yeah. but I was out of state at school. I had no idea that any of this, I knew that your folks had split up, but I had no idea how yeah. intense things had gotten. I don't know how many of us did. I was very good at hiding it. Um, yeah. and that kind of brings up the other, the other good thing that I think I, I had learned. I was, you know, I'm, I'm gay, obviously I'm, I'm married to Roger and through that, right over here. Hi, Roger. Yeah, this, this guy right here. <laughs> he's in the pod with us. <laughs> he's, he's pretty awesome. Um, but yeah, I, I, I had kind of learned and, and this kind of dives into another topic. Um, and we can maybe come back to my mom later cause there's, there's yeah. definitely some stories there. Um, but, um, as a kid, I, I knew something was, it was different. And Roger and I've talked about this. He, he's, he kind of felt similar way. You, you didn't know what it was, but you knew you were different and, um, you knew based on the feedback you were getting from the people around you that that was not okay. Um, and so mm-hmm. you adapt and you, you hide and you cover it up and you get very good at it. Um, I was very, very good at that, uh, dodging questions and acting a certain way or, um, Was that at, when you're growing up and you're, and you're having to do this, are those conscious decisions or does it just sort of become like second nature patterning? What is, what was it, that like for you? Was for, that... Yeah. For me, it was, it was, it was learning how to do it. And then after, like you just said, after a while, it kind of becomes like automatic and it just, it, you just kick in. If you feel something, it's an immediate, yeah. okay, this is not Okay. Um, in this situation. So I need to adapt to that. Um, and then as humans, we like to control things. Yeah. And so in that aspect, we want to control to make sure that nobody identifies us as quote unquote gay. Yeah. Because, you know, growing up in a religious family, as we all have, we're taught to hate ourselves from birth yeah. because this is what the Bible says. Yeah. And so it becomes very autonomous with who you are. Yeah. And you, it's not a switch that you flip on. You just know you have to do it. 
And then it becomes intoxicating because you can control that part of your life, but you can't control who you really are. Right. And so then it just, it's a, it doesn't become a job. It's just like, it's all right, we're on, let's do it. Yeah. And what is that? I mean, I just can't imagine having to like inside of, cause we're, we're not meant to be people. We're not meant to be beings that are separate from our own selves, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. but you're programming yourself from a young age to be separate from your own self yeah. because who you are, what you've been told that who you are is bad is, Oh my God. You talk about being in a religious environment is like an abomination is a word that I hear a lot. Yeah. And for that to be wrapped up in your identity, and that'll fuck a kid up. <laughs> yeah, um, it, it's exhausting. And I actually, I worked up the courage at 11 to tell my parents that I thought I was gay. Um, after I'd, I'd seen Scrambled, um, I think it was Queer as Folk, HBO, on my <laughs> TV. And I was like, oh, wow, you can actually live and be gay. And, like, it's okay for some of these people. Wow, that um, moment. And so it took me, and of course I prayed about it. As a good Christian kid, I, I prayed about it. And I was like... I think that they will still be okay. They'll be okay with this. This is going to be probably the hardest thing they're ever going to hear, but they're mm-hmm. going to be okay with it. Um, and they weren't, it, they weren't at all. Um, it was very much a, no, you're not. Um, no. And then you're 11 years old. Yeah. You, how do you know? Like, well, I, I really think I am like, I, and I, I'm, I'm, I, I see myself as a very intelligent person, emotionally mature. And at that age, I really was like, I think yeah. I am. Um, based on what, all the things I'm seeing of other gay people, this is yeah. sounding pretty much like what I am. And, um, and it, it was very much an immediate, okay, we need to get you into counseling to work through this. Yeah. Um, and I, and it was, I think that was mainly unf- driven by my dad. Um, I, I found out later that my mom kind of went along with that. She, she was upset that my dad reacted the way he did, but she didn't want to, to kind of go against that. So when he, when you mentioned counseling, was that like to talk it through or to quote, this was to fix it. And it was, I think it was probably six or seven weeks ago and twice a week or something. And I, I went in there and twice a week, yeah, twice a week just to talk through what I was feeling. And, um, I believe it was a Christian counselor. And so it was, it was more about, you know, praying and, um, you know, shifting focus and, and I'm just, I'm just very confused and, um, again, this is where that learning comes back in. Yeah. Guess what? At the end of those seven weeks, I wasn't having those feelings anymore is what I told everybody. Um, that I was fine. Yeah. And that, that I don't need to go here anymore because it was exhausting because it was right. like, obviously this isn't going anywhere. Um, and, and so I just, I lied and I said, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I, th- I really think I'm good. And yeah. it, wow. it, between 11 and 24, I was in the closet to everybody I knew and loved. Hmm. Um, never told anybody, uh, kept it very, very close, very secret. Um, and to get back on kind of what you were saying, how do you, how do you do that? How do you keep that? It's, it's, it, I think at 24, I literally reached a breaking point and it was, I I couldn't do it anymore. It was like, I either need to, to just go, you know, completely out and open. Um, and, and sometimes that's not right for everybody, but for me, it was, a, it was about over three weeks. I think I told as many people, um, as I could or, um, asked best friends to help me spread that. So I didn't have to have those conversations every single time. Yeah. Um, I remember those yeah. conversations. Yeah. Cause leading, leading up to that, I didn't sleep for two, two days before I told my best friends, um, Andy actually. Yeah. So I told, I told another group of, of friends and I, he wasn't able to make it to that and he, he had to wait two days. So in between that and that, 
I had to wait two days, Ooh. and I, I didn't sleep because that, that was my that's my best friend, and and I just was so I don't it was obviously should have known better. It was going to be fine. Um, yeah, and, as far back as I can remember, it's been Dan and Andy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. so it's it was um, there was such a relief after that, um, and the, for me, the biggest part of that, I, I don't think I would have done that unless I went to a counselor later on my own volition. I got health insurance finally. I was you know had a, a big boy job, <laughs> um, and I was like, man, I need to work this shit out because yeah. I, I need to talk to somebody and. And I went in there and I, I literally went in there with the idea in my head that this person was going to help me lead a quote unquote straight life. That's how I went in there. I said, I, well, that's I, what you knew. That, I, that's what you go to a counselor yeah. for. Exactly. Um, and she was absolutely incredible and, and challenged me from the very start slowly, kind of what she thought I could handle. And I, I took the action. I, I did the challenges. I went to my first gay bar and I just walked in she goes, Go in, grab a beer, and talk to somebody for 10 minutes, and then leave, if you want. Or stay. Mm -hmm. And I did that, and I stayed there for two hours, and I I had, like, two beers. I didn't want to, you know, I was like, I got to be very careful, and (laughs) they were the most welcoming people. They were just, this is your first time? Oh, my gosh. This is, you know, welcome. Like, you know, what what do you want to know? Like, What did that feel like? It was so scary. Um, I I was shaking walking from my car into that. Number one, because I, I just never thought I would do it. And two, because I was so nervous someone would see me. I don't know. Yeah. What it, it just <laughs> Dan by himself walking to a gay bar. It was just terrifying. And that was, that I think is, it was the fear that um, it would get out and it would get mm. out of control. And yeah. I wasn't the one to say it. Um, and that I would lose everybody I loved in my life. That was my fear. I, I really thought that was. So not the, high stakes or anything. No. Yeah. <laughs> not at all. Everything you know and Every, in your life could go away. And, and in my head, that's what it was. It right. Was, it was literally that was, that could happen. Right. Like, and it, it, it could have. I mean, I, I, I should have known better with the people hmm. that I surround myself with that they wouldn't do that. But in my head, I was fully convinced that that was a potential outcome of it. So you leave that gay bar for the first time. Yeah. Um, and exhale, I bet. Uh, it was, I was ecstatic. It was just, not only that, I had, I had, I had felt like I was on the right path. I had, she had just challenged me with this one thing and I was able to do that and I didn't die and no one saw me or, yeah. you know, my world didn't come crashing down. And so that gave me the confidence to go further and further with these things that, you know, she helped me with. And that was the next step of that was telling everybody. Yeah. Um, and that feels like a big leap. Yeah. Like go, just go have a 10 minute yeah. conversation yeah. and then tell everyone in your life and that she, you know. So what was that? Like, like bridging that gap? Like, okay, no, I'm going to tell everybody. Yeah. Well, she, she asked me, she's like, what do you, what do you want to do next? What's something that you have that you would want to try? And I said, I want to tell somebody, like, I want to tell somebody close to me. Um, and that person was Trey and, um, she, we, we kind of talked through it and Trey had several times, um, when we were drunk, it kind of pulled me aside and, and just straight up asked me, he's hmm. like, Hey, are you gay? Just kind of threw it out there, and I delivered my best line that I could ever possibly deliver. Um, and he he said, "If you are, I'm okay with it. Just tell me." I, I said, "No, are you kidding me? No, 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 no!" And like, completely yeah. blew that off. And during this period, we were all kind of drinking a lot, um, so <laughs> like you do yeah. in college, <laughs> yeah. Um, and this was this was way before counseling, but he had, he kind of planted that seed. Um, and and so I'm telling her, and she goes, uh, "He knows." Yeah. yeah. And she said, and, and several weeks after that happened, it happened again. And he said, we are all okay with it. If you are, just tell us. <laughs> and I told her that. And she said, they've all talked about it and they know. Yeah. And they're okay with it. They're trying to tell you <laughs> that it's safe for you to tell them. 
Um, but I, in my, in my, you know, anxiety ridden head, it was still, no, 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 I can't do that. Yeah. You still had that conversation with your parents. Yeah. You had 11 year old you terrified yeah. inside. Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, but that, it was actually, you know, a combination of the counselor and, and Trey doing that. She, if, if he hadn't have pushed me and, and kind of prodded me in that way, I wouldn't have felt, I think, as comfortable to come out as quickly as I did. Yeah. Because then she reassured me that they, they were okay with it. And they and, were ready. Yeah. Whenever you're ready. Exactly. We were ready. Yeah. And it was, it was amazing. I, I, I got him in the car, which was shaking. I was like, Hey, let's go get some drinks. I've talked to you about something. And he picked me up and we're heading to a bar and I just, I was like, turn the radio down. And he kind of looked at me. I'm like, I need to tell you something and I need to do it really quick. And then we need to drink a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and he just kind of smirked and he goes, okay. And I was like, I'm gay. And I kind of, I had planned out this speech in my head. Of course. Of it's like, you know, I know you guys make the gay jokes and I'm totally cool with it. Like, I think it's funny. Like, don't worry about that. We don't have to like, basically do, nothing will change. It's right. kind of what I was trying to come across yeah. as, right? I've always been this person. I just have not been open with it to you guys and he he just started laughing and he's like thank you he's like thank Aww. you i knew i'm so happy for you like this is amazing and yeah and, and Trey's then, like guess what no i'm just kidding no <laughs> <laughs> no he was he was great he uh we just we went and, and, and basically drank and planned how i was gonna tell everybody else and he was like i'm gonna be there for everything oh wherever you, you know whatever and it was this this trail so of yeah it, it was I, I can't even describe that. I'm getting, I'm physically mm-hmm. getting like excited right now thinking <laughs> about it because it was so, so, um, just such a weight off my back. Um, and, and you it, weren't alone with it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was oh, such a good thing. And then it, you know, the rest of it kind of happened there in the next couple weeks after that. And I, I wanted to tell you in person. So I, I waited for that. Um, but you, I think you knew too. So mm-hmm. you were very, very awesome about well, it. Well, I was well. out there for a weekend trip, I guess. Yeah. And, um, there were a couple moments where you're like, I really just want to get some alone time with you. And I was like, oh, got, I don't know. I don't know when that's going to happen. Because every time, you know, you go in to see all your high school friends, yeah. it's like, everybody is here for everything. <laughs> but we got a moment in the car and you, and you told I me. I just came out with it. And you, I've never seen, I don't think I've ever seen you smile that big the whole time. You're just like, oh, you can just see how, how happy you were for me. And it made me feel so good. Um, but yeah, I, I, had, I had no worries about you. Um, it was just a matter of I wanted to tell you in person. So yeah. That was a fun moment. That's still, it was such a huge honor that you trusted me that early on with that. And, um, that really, that was really meaningful for me. It was great. It was amazing to finally get to tell you. Um, (laughs) but yeah, that, that's kind of, that's kind of the gist of it. And then. But still in your process of doing this, you're still handling project managing your family. Yeah, so that's what I wanted to circle back to. What's going on at home while you're having this whole moment inside of yourself? Yes, it's becoming a whole person. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, mom got really bad, and 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 Jake and I were there, and at one point it got really bad, and 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 she she and she was she just was not well. Um, Mom was mentally not well. I, I, it kind of was what drove my choice in in my degree was psychology to see. I've always been kind of interested in it, but it was like, for me, it was again, part of the, can I fix this? Like, can I, can I learn more about this? And I dove into, you know, neuropsychology and, and, and addiction stuff and, and just learning everything I could to bring that home to try and help because she wasn't going to go see anybody at that point. She just Mm. was, she, it was kind of nope. Um, but it got, it got, it got really bad and she, she kind of got violent and, um, like two days before Christmas one year, um, she actually, and Jake, Jake didn't know at this point, but she, she yelled 
um, a really, really bad word that was you know, the F word um, mm. for gay people. And you, she goes, you're just that. But she was out of her mind, um, intoxicated. And I go, mm. and at that point, I, I, in that moment, at least, I go, yep, that's it. That was my limit. Um, yeah. And so I said, Jake, pack a bag. And we drove 22 hours to Pittsburgh that night, um, right before Christmas. So we just right. got in the car and drove because um, I was not about to have another Christmas like that. Um, right. So... And, and, and then, but then it was still, I had this, I still pulled back and I got to help her. I got to help her. And she's your mom. Yeah. And, um, on f- two weeks after that, and, and, you know, my parents had always been pretty bad with money. Um, and my dad was in between jobs and of course my mom wasn't working. Um, so the house got, um, we were basically going to get kicked out of the house, got foreclosed on. Mm-hmm. And so, um, it was kind of like a, well, we're just going to let it happen kind of thing is what what my dad was saying, I was like, well, if my dead body, am I going to let them drag my mom out of a house? So I, Mm. that's when I came back through and stayed at your place for the night, um, drove halfway through and then got back and, and, um, got there and made sure she was okay. Um, and then I single-handedly packed our entire house up. Uh, it was like a three bedroom house. I packed, I stayed up for about 30 hours and I packed everything, um, and got everything we could put it in U-Haul, got out of there. Um, and worked to try and get an apartment. And my dad wanted to put her in, in a hotel at the time because it just seemed easiest. And we were mm. worried about credit and that had always yeah. been a thing. And I was like, um, no, mom's not going to a hotel. You're going to get her an apartment. You're going to do it right now. And, um, so luckily he somehow made it work and, and got, got her a new apartment. And so I lived with her for the next two years. And, and, um, it was, it was rough. It was just me taking care of her and, and, she got very violent and would, would try and beat down the door at 3 a.m. And um, just it was very stressful for a long time. Um, and I actually started drinking during that time in my room by myself yeah. just to, like, fall asleep and to try to relieve that. Um, and then there was uh, – she went to Miami um, to visit my, my uncles, her brothers, and my grandma. And at this point, she – she wanted to try and stop and somehow mm. it was kind of like, I want to try and stop, but she was so into it that she could not do it herself. Yeah. Um, and so it was, it was alcohol and benzodiazepines, which together, um, can be deadly if you withdraw incorrectly. Um, mm. you go into seizures, um, and you can basically go into a coma and die, um, which almost happened. Um, so she was there Christmas Eve. Uh, I got a call from my uncle, um, that she was alive, but she was not okay. Yeah. Um, and then he, I needed to go to Miami like immediately. And so he, him and my uncle who are two of the, the most respected men in my life. Um, um, just are incredible guys, uh, did everything they could for my mom. Um, and, and they still, I think struggle to this day thinking they didn't, but they absolutely did. Mm -hmm. Um, and if they ever hear this, I want them to know that. Um, but I, I, I didn't know what to, to, to think. I didn't know what was kind of the thing. And my uncle just kind of said, it's, it's bad. It's not good. Um, and he said, just, I just want you to know she's, I, they waited to tell me until I, I, I landed. Um, I think things had happened and, um, they had to put her, in her into a medically induced coma because it, it was, she just, her body was reacting so severely to the withdrawal. Um, and so I, I walked in and saw her like that and it was just completely heartbreaking. And, um, you know, they were like, okay, you know, we don't want you to feel like you need to stay here at all. Like whatever you want to do, we just want you to be here in case we need you here mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, but I stayed there for, I would, I think a couple of nights I went back to my grandma's because they, they basically were like, you need to get out of here for at least a day, you know, yeah. at least a couple hours, sleep a little bit. Um, but I was there 
for probably a straight 48 hours. Um, and I was, I just stayed by her side and, and she came out of that and, um, they kind of warned me that, that she was going to be hallucinating a bit. And mm. I came back one of those nights that I came back to the, the hospital. Um, she was, um, she was cooking. She thought she was cooking in her bed. Um, and she was, she had a mixing bowl and I'm kind of holding a mixing bowl here. And she was, mm. Oh, Jim. And she called me Jim, her brother. I'm so glad you could make it. We've got Christmas dinner ready and I'm doing this and, and gummy's doing my hair. Her mom, mm. we, we called her gummy. And I was just like, Oh, I like, it's okay. And, and she didn't know who I was for a couple of days. And they're like, that's normal. It's normal. But it was so terrifying. Yeah. That's um, terrifying. And we kind of like, what are the next steps here? Like, what is, I was just, I kept, you know, I was, again, Mr. I was writing everything down, every medication yeah. she was on, what the milligram was, who the nurses were. Um, luckily I, I had a little, I spoke a little bit of Spanish, um, which was, I think helpful in that situation, especially in Miami. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a great hospital, but it was there. Even me just speaking a little bit of Spanish went a long way. Yeah. Um, so I was very thankful for that. And, um, then again, still project managing. Oh right. yeah, everything. Yeah, someone else's everything. Life. Oh, was, oh yeah, yeah. It was. Well, it was. It was. I felt that it was on me. No yeah. one else was going to do Who it. Else was, yeah. You know. Um, and so, you know, that was that was extremely traumatic. That was actually a really uh, time in my faith that I it was probably the bottom point of my faith. Um, one of the bottom points, um, where I literally, I literally went to the chapel. I think it was like four in the morning. I couldn't sleep. I went to the chapel in the hospital, and I went in there and I flipped God. I was like flipping him off. And I said, yeah. fuck you. Yeah. Fuck you. How dare you? What do you, who, who are you to do this? Like, you're not good. You're not anything. Like what yeah. fix this? Where are you at? Like, and, and it, it bubbled up and that was like, it still like hurts me to, cause I, I've, you know, it's it kind of molded differently into my faith now. But at that point it was like, you know, you're, it was just, it was <sighs> awful. I just sat there and I bawled for like an hour and, yeah. Um, you know, I wasn't sleeping. It was very emotional. Um, but it was kind of this release for me a bit. Um, and you know, and then out of this fast forward a bit, we got her into a really, the best, you know, rehab program that we could find that, you know, my uncle's completely paid for no questions asked. That was in Florida. Uh, back in Texas. This is back in Texas. Um, she came back to Texas. My uncle flew back with me. We, we were told by them that it would be best if she was not, after this program, go back to the same apartment hmm. um, because of the cues and things sure. like that. So again, um, my brother and I moved, moved her by ourselves to a different apartment in the same complex before mm-hmm. she got out as kind of the surprise of like, hey, whole new yeah, start for you. Start. Um, and things went really, really well there for a while, for about eight or nine months. She got a job as a vet, um, at, at a vet clinic and she, mm. she loves animals. She loved animals. She was, um, so happy with that. And, and how was your relationship? The two of you, it was great. It was like, Oh my gosh, is this actually going to be, is this it? Like, is this, is she going to be good now? And Mm -hmm. and they had, the program was very good. They were very much like, this is absolutely a lifelong thing. So you guys need to work on this and you need to, and in in that they offer counseling between us. And there was a lot of good communication that happened between us. Um, through that. And I learned a lot of things about her. I didn't know. And I think she learned a lot of things about me. Um, and it was good to have my brother in that to kind of be a part of that. Yeah. Was, I think it was kind of hard for him. But how much younger is he? He's four years younger. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, things things were really well, and then um, you know uh, money got tight, and you know my dad was paying for his place in Pittsburgh and our place, and and he he wasn't making as much money as he used to, and um, so bills were slipping, and it was getting stressful for her again, and um, you know there was some 
there's a nasty email that was sent, um, understandably from, from the woman my dad was dating at the time, because I think he had borrowed money from her to pay for our rent and she found out about it and she wasn't happy mm. and she let my mom know how she felt about it. Um, and a lot um, of trauma. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you're it, how old at this point? Uh, 21 or 22, I think maybe a little bit, 23, maybe. Yeah. Um, definitely early twenties. Um, and so that, that's, that set her off. And so that, yeah. that was the last good time. Um, mm. that kind of set her off the rails there. And, and between that and when she passed away, um, she'd been in and out probably six or seven different times, um, of either like outpatient kind of thing, or there was actually another time we took her back to that same place. Um, my uncles did, I should say. Um, because it was, we just didn't think there was anything better because of what we saw was in place there. And it was like, you know, if, if this place isn't going to do it, I don't know if anything is. And, and, yeah. and that's, that's also the other realization that was very stressful was this, um, realizing that there could, something bad could happen. Yeah. Um, and we were told, you know, from them, this is very hard, but if she continues on this path and, and they had, they had said at that place that my mom was one of the most severe cases of addiction and trauma they had ever seen, um, working with anybody. Yeah. And they warned us, they said, you know, this, there's a possibility that she could, you know, wind up dead. She could be in jail. Um, or she, she gets better. Those are, those are kind of the three things. Mm -hmm. If she goes off again, you know, um, it could be one of those three things. And so those early seeds were terrifying to me. It was just like, no, well, that's not an option. That yeah. can't happen. Did you have anybody, did you have anybody at that point? I had my uncles, um, and and we talked, but it was all, it was all about how mom's doing. Yeah. And we all were focused on that. Right. Um, and they, they very much were very good about, how are you? Like, are you okay? Mm -hmm. Um, those guys were probably the. Cause did they know that you had this whole other thing going on in didn't. your life no, on didn't. the parallel track? Yeah, no, they didn't. Um, and I think that's this, this distraction, I think helped me get through that time without coming out. Um, because mm. it was just this other thing was like, I don't have time to do that. Like, yeah, this is not, and, and for me and in, in, in my work now, it's all about what is the highest priority? Um, you know, working through what is, what is most important for the customer? What is the highest priority to help with the most value? And to me, that was helping mom. It wasn't yeah. me coming out that can wait. Like it consumed your every minute basically. And you right. can, you could control those minutes. Oh yeah, absolutely. So. And that's, and it, it, and that can, that illusion of control, um, helped my mm -hmm. very, um, logical OCD brain. Um, it helped, it helped kind of keep things trucking along. Um, but yeah, it was, my, my, my uncles were definitely there. My friends were there as well. Yeah. Um, I slowly told people around me, um, what was going on more and more. Um, but cause that's a lot to hold in and carry yourself, but it's also a lot. It's a lot Yeah, for somebody to know. Yeah. And for you to know that somebody knows. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, me being gay was absolutely on the back burner that entire yeah. time. It was, it was, everything was to, to help her and to make sure she was better. Cause she was, I, 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 she was the most important person in my life. It was, yeah. you know, at, before all of this started, um, I couldn't, there's not a better mom on this planet. I mean, she was amazing. She was the most loving, caring, funny, so freaking funny. Um, that uh, is who I remember. Yeah. So playful. Um, would give you the shirt off her back and then her shoes and her socks if she had them. Like, um, just completely gave everything to everybody she met. Um, and so, I forget where I was going with this. 
It's all right. Um, um, we we're, were talking about, about who you have yeah. and who you yeah. had then. At that, at that point, it was, it was a lot. Of, it was a lot of friends, and, and my uncles were great. My uncles, Jim and Dave, were amazing, um, and were always there if I, I need to. But I, I, then again, they were. I felt they were dealing with a lot too because mm-hmm. of this. So I never put more than I, I, I never put stuff on them either. I never yeah. really tossed it back. There was a couple times where we all kind of had like a, a heart to heart, and we all kind of just you know cried a bit and like what's the next step and and they're both very much like me they're very much um you know okay let's what are the next things what is the next high priority yeah. for mary that mm-hmm. kind of thing um and so we yeah we we did that and we in there's there's a lot of like did we you know did we do enough and that kind of thing and and um i i know they did i know they yeah. did and i know i did too yeah, um did. there was there was a lot of um there's a, there's always a lot of questions after the fact. And, um, you know, I guess, I guess we should maybe talk about kind of how she passed away a bit that, that yeah. if we want to, you um, I, I'm going to dive into it cause it's, it's definitely a part of, I think how, how I am now it's, yeah. it's, um, um, yeah. So she, she was struggling and, and she had been in a public, um, kind of, um, detox facility and she walked out and, um, she called, she called me and, and at this point I'm, I'm, I've been with Roger for, I think a year, year and a half maybe. Um, and Roger was so good during that whole time there, she was arrested several times for public intoxication and would call me to bail her out. And, um, I was, I couldn't sleep cause I was always worrying that I was going to miss a call for something. Yeah. Um, and he, the first, it was very small steps and he really helped me with this and no one had ever really done this for me. And he said, okay. Um, so say she calls. What what good is that going to do? What, what good is is you at four a.m. picking up the phone and having to drive and, and bail her out going to do for her? Is it going to stop her next time? Mm. Do you think it's going to help her at all? I'm like, at first it was kind of like, but she's my mom, kind of thing, right. and and it was like, okay, but if for you to take care of her, you got to take care of yourself. You're not sleeping. You're not thinking clearly. Yeah. Um, and so the first step was let's just take the phones out of the room and turn them off. When yeah. we go to bed, we turn the phones off. And it was like, well, what if something happens? Like, you'll find out tomorrow morning. If something happened, you'll yeah. find out. And it'll be okay, and you'll have slept, and you can better deal with it. I think that's such an important thing for people who are hearing this podcast right now, who are listening, who are in a place of trauma or crisis with a family member, that you ha- you have to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> you have to take care of yourself, and the number one thing is you have to sleep. And I... Yeah, it's it's actionable it's, items. It's like, take so the phone out it's of so room. important. Just small things, and yeah. it's and, and what I would say is important to me is that it was done slowly. It wasn't these like aggressive yeah. steps. Yeah, because I wanted, I still wanted that very much. Like I was grabbing onto that phone for dear life. Like, don't yeah. take that, that from was, me. That was kind of it was kind of like a double addiction, if you will. And as we progressed and we got more open with each other, because I could tell that he was somewhat. You know, I would be embarrassed. You would be embarrassed. You're just dating this person, and how are you gonna? Do this thing, and you know, fortunately, I, my mom taught me. You know, you read a book, you don't judge it from the outside, right? Mm-hmm. So, fast forwarding to where we're at now, and we started getting the phone calls. I started to realize um, there's a lot of parallels in our lives. It's like you could control all these things, and at every moment in time, you were the hero. That rush that you're a hero becomes a drug. Mm. It is. It really is. And so, like, it reinforces wow. that that enabling effect yeah and so it, it became very much like in the movie love actually when the lady's on the phone her brother calls a time mm. i'll be there immediately yeah it's, it's put her life on hold without 
realizing that it's passing her by. Yeah, that's that scene always gets me because wow. it was so relatable for me. Yeah. Um, glued to the phone, always had to pick it up, and and sometimes it was at the expense of whatever we were doing. Um, yeah. And and so I, for the longest time, was so worried. I was like, why is he still here through all of this? Yeah. Um, and it was because he loved me. Um, but at the time, I didn't, I didn't, it didn't process. Um, mm. But through that, it, it kind of got you know better and better and it was more distancing myself and helping her where I can, but kind of at an arm's length and not trying to get as emotionally attached to it and involved in it. And, um, there was the last time I saw her, um, she was up in Denton at a, at a, like a a house there, um, for women who were struggling and and kind of, she'd gone through the, the program and was there. And, um, we got, it was, it was good. It was really good. And we, we hugged each other and she said, she loved me. And that was the last time we saw each other. It was, it was really, it was ended really good. We were joking as I like walked away. Um, and then she, she kind of walked out of that and, and, um, ended up back in Dallas. And at the time we were living in Grand Prairie, which is just West of Dallas, um, probably eight or nine miles West of Dallas, downtown Dallas. And, um, she, I think she knew we were out there. And so she actually walked that way. She walked along I-30. Hmm. Um, and I, I don't like to think about what happened um, during that period because she was homeless and I don't I don't know what she had to do and and it, yeah. it really hurts me inside. But she got I, we got a call um, from a Taco Bueno and it was her and um, she said please just let me let me come stay for a couple of days and and I'm like mom we talked about this like it was you needed to stay there and you didn't and it was I was just looking at him like I and I just I said I'm so sorry I love you I can't. I love you, but I, I can't do it. And she threw the phone back to the guy and the, the guy at Taco Bell goes, you know, that's your mother, right? How, how dare you do that to your mother? And I, I lost my shit. I go, Hey buddy, you have no idea what I've been through with my mom. Don't you dare tell me how to behave or how to, how to respond. And he just said, whatever, man, and hung up. Um, and then it was that next week. Oh, um, damn. yeah, she took her life and. And not to preface that you weren't picking up the phone or you weren't doing things because we would consistently, like, we'd be eating out somewhere. Okay, let's go get a sandwich, some water, and let's go drop it off to your mom because she had certain spots that you knew that she would always be in. Yeah, this yeah. this is much more high level. So yeah. there was there were some spotty good good parts in there, but yeah. but it was it was much more of a um, you got to do this on your own, mom. Like we've we've tried everything we can, and I I'm here for you once you figure that out. Yeah. But I can't be involved in this anymore for my own sanity. Like I. I finally was able to put my foot down in that way because I was literally going crazy. I, I was, ha- you know, having panic attacks and just could not control myself in that way. I was so emotionally all over the place. Yeah. Um, so well, that- as someone who studies psychology, you know, like everything that you're processing has to go through like your lizard brain first, yeah. your amygdala yeah. was just. I was out of whack. And, and sometimes this so to this no- day. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we, you know, she, she ended up taking her life um in kind of in that same area mm. where the taco bell was and it was it was right down the street which is awful and it was just and then it's immediately like oh my god she was right there like why didn't mm. i just bring her to the house um and that was hard at the beginning um but there was a lot of people around me roger my uncles who were dan think of all the stuff we we did to help her she wasn't yeah. and it wasn't just that she she didn't do it. It's, I, I don't think she was never diagnosed with um, something, but she, I f- really don't think she could. And, and um, a lot of suicide victims, most suicide victims have some sort of really deep mental illness yeah. that was either not diagnosed or wasn't being treated correctly or things like that. And 
And so for me, that's, that's kind of a, um, I don't know, not a, not a reprieve or something. It was just, she, she was not in her right mind when that happened. Yeah. Um, and, and for me, that was, that's the hardest, that's, I think what is impacting me most was, was the way she died and, Mm. and kind of back to why couldn't I have stopped that? Why couldn't I have fixed that? Why couldn't I have managed that better? Um, Mm. kind of thing. And, um, through that though, I've, I've become, this is kind of where I, and I, I honestly didn't, I don't see myself as resilient until, until you actually tell you, you were kind of like, I want you to be on this. Like, um, I just saw myself as just like dealing with stuff everybody else does. And yeah, it's, it's, it's maybe a little rougher than some other people's, but like, there's far worse things out there that other people have to go and have gone through. And so I didn't really see myself as that way until you said it. And, um, you know, Roger always does a really good job of like, you've been through a lot, man. Like, like, so tell us how you felt like, because I know you explained to me, there were several times where we felt guilty, but you also felt relief. Yeah. How, how did, how did you manage it was, it those was, feelings? Yeah. So it was, it was a lot of, a lot of guilt, obviously, because of the way it happened. And I was the last person she talked to and she was right there and I could have, I could have done something, but it, it was, it, I kind of worked through it and I worked through my head of, of the history of, of what had happened. And it was like, yeah. this was going to happen sometime. Um, and it was, it was kind of inevitable. And, and, and so there was, there was also a lot of guilt around the fact that I, I at times was relieved because mm-hmm. it was like, I, it's over. Like she's not hurting anymore. And yeah. I am not under this unsurmountable amount of stress that I had been for eight years. Um, and, it was, it was, there's a lot of weird feelings in that. Um, yeah, that is a, a, an interesting, weird, beautiful, awful place to be. That intersection of grief and relief yeah. and guilt. Yeah. That's. And the reason I yeah. asked is because as we got deeper into our relationship, um, I noticed that he would try reasons to fill the space that used to be filled up by project managing a different life altogether. Mm. Yeah, I would find things. So my, I, I, from a young age, actually right after this falls back right after the, the incident with when I told my parents, I thought I was gay when I was 11, I developed a really, really bad case of OCD, like hand washing, mm. intrusive thoughts, like very bad. Um, and that came back, um, mm. with a vengeance probably a year after um, so I think I was still in that initial grief period then. And then yeah. it was kind of like, a, okay, I'm actually starting to feel a little bit no- more normal. Um, and so I didn't have that constant stimuli really at the very base of it, this constant thing right. that I had to tend to. You were going through a withdrawal. Yes. And, and my, my needs were being taken care of because I had Roger who was helping me through everything. So I didn't have to worry about that. I was, he was there for, for me for that. And it was like, whoa, what do I do? I don't know what to and do. All of a sudden with. there's a vacuum. Yes. Yes. And it was, it was, it was really bad. And, and OCD came back really bad. And, and just the, just emotions just came flooding back randomly. And I think that's a normal grieving process too, but it was just kind of this, um, I, I, where do I channel this, like non, this non-anxiety? What do I, it, right. it actually became anxious for me that I didn't have something to be anxious about. Hmm. It was this like impending sense of. Gosh, I think that's going to be so relatable. I think that's <sighs> so relatable for just, anybody who's gone through that kind of trauma. And then all of a sudden it's gone. Yeah. Or, or the cause of it or whatever it is gone. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, that vacuum of you're used to functioning in this space. This t- it was hundred percent all the time. Yeah, no time off. Um, and so it was after that. It was it was not only just anxiousness, but this like impending sense of doom. Um, and a lot of it was what if something happens to Roger? Like, like mm. or like someone else around me. And I still struggle with that today. Um, of just people around me that I love of losing them. Yeah. Um, and so that's a big, big thing for me that, that, you know, is, is kind of always there in the back of my mind. It's always yeah. like a, it also it, it inspires, I think us to be, to communicate really well and, mm-hmm. um, to always make sure we know how each other feels in terms of like, like I, we both try never to go to bed angry. Um, mm-hmm. cause you never know what's going to happen. It's always, it's yeah. always, I, Hey, I love you and you make sure make sure you want, I want you to know that, you know, before you leave for work, whatever, whatever it is. Um, and so I, I, that's something really good. That's, it's, it's, it's kind of come out of this is this, um, going through all of that and through this anxiousness, um, comes kind of this like deeper sense of love for the people around you. And, and, um, I think just for me, I'd always, another big thing was I was always been very meek and very kind of shy Mm -hmm. and going through all of this, having to deal with doctors that I did not agree with what they were saying and standing up to authority and all these things. I, I think it is, it really has helped me become a better, not only a better man, a better, um, a better employee. I, I feel like I, I have this, like I've been through all this, like I can, I can do this and throw something at me and I'll do it. Like, um, it's taught you how to become an advocate. For yes. yourself, yes. for your mother, and then for yourself. Yeah. And and now I can do that for others. That's that's yeah. even my job is to make sure my team is well supported, right? And and has the things they need to, to succeed. Um, and from the outside looking in, I kind of noticed that you're starting to identify yourself a lot more. You're noticing, oh, wow, these are this is actually me. And mm-hmm. it's okay to be that way. Yeah. And it's hard sometimes to realize because you were consumed so much by another whole different life that wasn't yours to live. Yeah. You were living your brother's life your mother's and your father's life and trying to keep all that together. Yeah. So it, the resiliency comes in like three different forms. One resiliency just to live resiliency, just to survive mm-hmm. the traumatic events that yeah. not everybody can survive because you could have easily gone down that same path. Yeah. Yeah. But you didn't. Yeah. You moved forward. Right. And so there is like so many examples of resiliency there. Yeah. And you're, I wanted to have you on here because I didn't, I didn't know all of any details really of the story. I knew some, but not, yeah. but not, but I just know who you are. And I know when I look at you and when I think about Dan, I don't, I don't see you as someone who is separate from yourself at all. I see you as someone, I respect you so much because you are such an integrated person. You are a person who I have walked you or watched you sit right at that intersection of grief and guilt and anger and anxiety and continue to live. Yeah. And that's a, that is a really, people don't, not everybody gets to do that. Nobody, not everybody makes it out of that place. Yeah. Not everybody walks out of that, that fire and, and you have, and, and with like dignity and grace and a greater compassion for yourself and others. And I thought, Gosh, if people could just see how possible <laughs> it is to be, because people think they can't do it. Yeah. You know, you, you go through a trauma or, or, or this thing or whatever it is, it's going to look different for everybody. And you think I'm never going to be the person that I want to be. 
And what I see in you is just this incredibly deep, compassionate, integrated, whole person who can sit with your grief and pain and guilt and show compassion and meet yourself in that place. And not everybody can do that. It's and it's it's a lot of work though too. So I, I don't yeah. want to, to everybody to think that it's easy. Um, it is absolutely something that is something I deal with daily. It is there. There are days where I don't I don't want to get out of bed. Yeah. Um. So even even years and years later. Um, How far out are we from your mother? This is two thousand uh, October two thousand thirteen. So we're we're just over four just years. Over four years. Yeah. Um. And. It is, it is absolutely, it's, it's, it has gotten better. It has gotten much better. Um, but it's definitely, um, something daily that I, that I struggle with. It's, I, I think about her all the time. I see yeah. her everywhere. Um, and I'm sure there's others out there that, that are doing that same thing. And sometimes it's really good and sometimes it's really not. And it's, yeah. it's, you know, something it'll, it'll trigger a good memory, but then that's tagged with something that's not also in my brain. So it pulls that into that. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's just a matter of, um, I think having a good support system around you. So, um, and, and also being okay with the fact that not every day is going to be good, uh, and to take the time for yourself to do it because, um, there's some days I, I just can't and yeah. I won't and, and it's okay. Um, but there's other days where I'm, I'm kind of on the edge and, uh, Roger be like, how about you go in for the morning? How about you go, mm. go see how you feel for a couple hours. And then if you can't, if you don't feel like you can do it, come home. Um, and I would say nine out of 10 times I'll go in and it's kind of like, uh, you're good. A conversation gets started and, and you kind of, you get that sense of purpose back and, and you're, you know, you're helping others. And for me, that's, that's what I love to do. So it's, it's just having that encouragement behind you, the support, um, and being able to be comfortable with the fact that, and, and know that not every day is going to be good. Um, and, and as long as the people around you know that too, and are okay with that, um, I think that has helped, that has helped me a lot, uh, in that, that I don't have to, I don't have to be okay all the time. And if I'm not, I'll tell you. And I, and yeah. that's, there's a lot, there's, I'm still working on that. Um, and Roger's really good about sensing how I'm feeling. And, um, you know, a lot of time, I'm still working on, on saying every time I feel that way that I'm, Hey, this is why I'm, I'm a little cranky right now or mm-hmm. why I'm not, I'm not talking or not laughing. And on the receiving end, you just have to listen, no advice nothing because you don't understand you will never understand what that trauma is and i've prayed and i went to counseling people and said what do i do just just listen hmm. you have to say nothing more than that yeah. yeah and he'll just ask me he'll say hey are you okay and um a lot of times i'll say yeah and i'm not and i've gotten better about saying actually no i'm not yeah. like you want to talk about it sometimes i do sometimes i don't if i don't he says all right i'm here if you need me i'll be right over here what a huge part of your healing to have a partner who, and I think for anybody who's listening, who you are the partner of someone who has undergone a trauma. I think you're getting some really helpful, actionable advice here. Like just listen, like ask questions and listen and uh, you don't have to fix it. It's not your job or your expectation. No one expects you to fix this thing that can't be fixed. It's not a fixable thing. It's not even the right category. It's Mm -hmm. not a thing you fix. It's a thing you learn to live with and heal from. But, um, to hear, from a partner it's like no you just ask questions and you listen 
Yeah, and it, and and to be honest, it it helps me because then it's not like he's because he's not trying to fix it. It takes the stress off of me. Yeah, because I don't want to be a burden to him, and yeah. and I I don't feel that, but sometimes sometimes I I do. And when he just asks me, "Are you okay?" and then treats it as kind of like a well, I'm here, and it's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's yeah. this. I I know it's there, and we both know it's there. And if you want to talk about it, I'm here. If you don't, I'm still here. And maybe it's just a hey, let's. Let's go. Let's go see a movie, or you yeah. know, let's get out of the house and do something. Um, and don't take it personal either. I mean, sometimes you just need mm, that separation. Big. Yep. Um, it's easy, and I know you said it sometimes. Where my the way I say something or communicate is just how I am. But you said you take it personally. It's like it's not personal to you. That's just the way I say, it, and vice versa. Like yeah. when you say something to me, I was like, oh, that's great, whatever. But I know you're going through whatever process you're going through yeah so just don't think take things personally because then that's another seed that whatever scenario you're out you're having a good time and then you know alcohol is liquid courage and liquid truth (laughs) yeah you know that's the damn truth and so like you'll be having a great time in the night and then bam you come to that seed and for no unknown reason the good night turns into like what just happened yeah Yeah, you just stepped on a landmine Yeah. yeah and so just don't take it personally and just let it be what it is. Yeah, and a lot, a lot of times that happens because you bottle it up. Um, that's those were those were some of the there's there's been a couple times where that's happened, and I'll just I'll get angry at something really stupid, and and then I'll just start bawling, and I'll be like, I've had a really rough day thinking about my mom, mm-hmm. and I'm using this to tell you that like that's that's what's going on in my head. Yeah. Like there's just like you know, and, and so it's so much better just to go, yeah, it's been rough. It's not a good day, and um just so you know. And that way it's, it's very much, you got to trust that person. If they're telling you, um, yes, I want to talk about it. Listen, if they're saying no, then that means that they're really not okay with it, but they're, they're feeling enough trust to tell you that, that something's going on and that they're not yeah. having a good day. Like inviting you into that space. You're inviting him into that space, but yeah. like, just sit here and yeah. let's just be quiet. Together yes, exactly. In this, in this room. <laughs> yes. And sometimes that's the best thing. Yeah. 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 So, um, how are how are you? How are you now? I'm doing I'm doing really well. Um uh, I'm loving my job. Um uh I couldn't ask for a better partner in life. My partner in crime, Roger over here, um who just makes life fun and um is just the coolest guy in the world. Um and has really really saved me from from a lot of stuff um and and has really kept me I'll pay you later. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's yeah. He's, he's great. Um, that's, that's my biggest thing is, is probably him. Um, and just being able to live life with somebody that, um, it's, it's, you don't have to try. It's kind of an effortless thing and that it just flows. Um, and yes, yes, we, you know, sometimes argue and yes, we do this, but it's, it's the best thing in the world. Um, and in my own head, I've come so far in being okay with, with loving another man, um, and being okay with that, that it's, it's just not even a thing anymore. It's just kind of like, that's, that's my person. Not necessarily, that's my guy. That's my, this is my person period. Um, um, and it's, it's just great. And it's, it's, we're, we're getting, you know, um, further and further away from sort of that trauma that I, I had. And it's, I'm feel like I'm stronger and stronger every day. And there's less of those days that I feel like I can't get out of bed and more of those days that I'm, I'm excited to, you know, go do something that I'm proud of and, and do it next to somebody that I love and, um, be able to share that with, you know, 
our family and friends and, and just be able to enjoy life now and, and um which is what we're doing here at your beautiful home. It's it's amazing. Yeah, we've yeah. enjoyed yeah. a lot of life this weekend. Yes. I had a conversation with somebody recently and we were talking about how things just damn it if they just don't turn out the way that you thought. And um, there's no, like, looking back on the last five years of your life and the last five years of your relationship and our friendship, Mm -hmm. I mean, none of this is anything that could have been anticipated or planned for. No. No, But life is... That's not how life works. You don't get to just plan it out, right? And and it's a flow. And I love that you said you said earlier it just flows right now. Mm -hmm. Um, That was exactly the conversation that I had with this friend. Like I'm just trying to. It feels it sounds like esoteric and hippie and weird, Mm -hmm. but like I'm just trying to feel the flow. (laughs) (laughs) But that like, what else are you gonna do? Because you cannot plan everything and there's always life is going to happen life is going to happen yeah and it's just going to happen for you to you with you around you (laughs) so get just get in it like just be all in it and sometimes that means you're just up to your waist and bullshit but you're in it and like fully experiencing it um that's i think why we all get along so well Mm -hmm. is because we're not people who um will allow each other to not be fully in our lives. Yeah. <laughs> um, I feel like if in our friendships, if we see somebody starting to withdraw from being fully in life, even if it's the shitty part, like we'll call that out. <laughs> like, oh, come, yeah. come back out. Got no issues with that. Get it's, in here. And it's, it's out of love. It's all out of love. It's a lot of yeah. wanting to, to be there for somebody and, and have them for you as well. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's yeah. kind of like the food get cut. In the middle of your teeth, right? <laughs> yes. Like, yeah. are your friends going to let you walk around with that piece stuck in between <laughs> your teeth? Or are they going to be the friend that you thought they were and tell you, hey, yeah. you got some food in your mouth? Just be a toothpick friend. Yeah. <laughs> Just be like... Oh. Get in there, man. That's a nice test, actually. Yeah. You know, that is yeah. just just so the next time you're trying to ingratiate a new person in your life, just like put a shit ton of chocolate in yeah. your teeth. Like, if they call it, yeah, yeah. that's a they're good in. Part. Yeah, that's a good that's a good person. Um. <laughs> well, um, what's what's next for you two? What what are you now that you have this? This flow where you're not in that traumatic space anymore and you're moving into greater life and vitality and fullness where, not that you can plan it, but where does it feel like you're headed? Yeah. I mean, we both have have taught, we'd love to have kids, multiple kids, I think. Oh, Um, you guys are going to be so good at having kids. Ten. Oh, this guy wants ten. Oh my God. I'm cool with two or three, (laughs) but we can talk about that. Um, I'll just never leave your house. I'll come be the cool auntie who's just... (laughs) always there uh, we're, we, we're excited we've had a lot of feedback that we'll never have to worry about babysitting never. at all so we've, we've got that locked down and um yeah i mean we just we want to be able to we've been very blessed and, and have worked very hard to be where we're at and now we want to be able to help out a kid that doesn't have that and then we can we can love on and and you know take care of and raise and i kind of feel like we're the shit <laughs> you know, and I say this in the most. You are like, the shit. Wait, wait, it gets better because you know what do they use shit for? It grows flowers. These beautiful gardens, yes. right? He's really he's, worked out this metaphor. He's so eloquent, isn't and he? so I feel like you know we've all been shit on perfectly in our lives, right? Yeah. 
But that's what are we true. gonna what are we gonna do with this shit? Are we gonna go plant our gardens and make them beautiful, or are we just gonna <laughs> mellow in our own shit? You know, and this put is some why, seeds in yeah. there. Yeah, this is why I married this man right here. <laughs> and so right now, like to work. Yes. we're growing our flowers, and we're just like, what do we do next? Yeah. It's amazing to be able to be very comfortable in who you are, like Dan said, yeah. and just now, just live your own life, regardless of what everybody else thinks. Yeah, and so like being coming to spend this quality time. Like, I could walk around here naked. I'm not going to do that. But you wouldn't care. No one would I object. I wouldn't care. No. And, and it's just kind of like, that's that feeling, like, a yeah. freedom. Like, there's no compression on your chest to breathe. It's, yeah. it's like your home, yeah. right? And fully seen. I yeah. feel fully seen yeah. when yeah. we are all together. Yeah. There's nothing to... Even if even if we don't know every detail about what's going on in each other's lives right now, yeah. like... I see you guys. Yeah. I know that you see me. And there do. doesn't have to be like a wall. Like, okay, yeah. you can't see this part of me. Yeah. Part of that is so refreshing to be say, hey, I fucked up today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was part of, I told the girls the other day, um, when we were driving, they were like, did you, uh, cause I had this job. Oh, you guys, I had this part-time administrative assistant thing that I was doing that was not for me. <laughs> and I'm like, are you still doing that? I was like, no, I'm not. I quit. I quit badly. Like I did it <laughs> the wrong way. I yeah. just had to get out of there. Yeah. It was bad. But I knew that, you know, I haven't told anybody else that mm-hmm. except for now that I'm telling the podcast and whoever hears, <laughs> sorry, former client. But, um, <laughs> like, cause I just felt like I was going to have to give all the disclaimers and all of the Ugh. stories about why and all the justifications. So I just hadn't told anybody else, but I knew that in that car, like in that car with those people, I'd be like, no, I just, and I really fucked it up. Like I did it the worst <laughs> possible, not the worst possible, but it was not my most graceful exit. Yeah. Anyways, but as an example, sometimes you have to do that mm-hmm. and, um, yeah, you just have to be able to say it and, and not have to get into the, the, the dirt and we get it. Yeah. We're like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you want to talk about it or no? Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah. I feel really lucky to have, to have people in my life that that's our, that's our relationship. Yeah. My, my shit friends yes. <laughs> just growing flowers yeah. <laughs> walking around in, in the shit, yeah. being the shit. That's, that's where life is, right? So you got a little karma thing says in your studio. Happiness is a journey, not a definition. Yeah. Oh, nice. Happiness is the journey. Yes. Well, I'm very happy. I am that too. You guys are here. Yeah. Thank you for, for having us on. And, um, it's actually been really cathartic to get this out and actually talk to you about some of this. I don't think I've talked to you about some of this stuff, no. but, um, yeah, no, it's, it's good. And, and, um, I hope that anybody's listening, got, got something out of it and, and yeah. realize it's, it, it gets better and, um, and just, you know, trust yourself and, and, and kind of follow the flow that we were saying, you know, yeah. don't, don't try and, and stop it, live in it, be in the moment, feel it. Um, I think, I think that's helped me get through it and process it better and kind of be where we're at now with it after a couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Any final thoughts, Rogelio? No. No. <laughs> that shit metaphor was pretty good. <laughs> I'm really excited to hear some of the other stories that come out um, on the podcast and um, be yeah. able to see kind of how that, how it relates to my experience and maybe, yeah. maybe learn some new stuff as well. I'm already identifying some themes, just like, man, all of this people, the things that people go through, the really dramatic, intense trauma stuff. And then just the, the stories that don't feel so traumatic, but it's just, there's a lot of themes. There's a lot of commonality and a lot of the whole point of this for me was to give people a space to tell their stories in a way that was like safe and also helpful. Um, because everybody's going to go through something. If you haven't yet, it's coming. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think resilience is 
the ability to be fully in that thing, whatever it is, whether it's good or excruciatingly painful, to be fully in it while you're in it, and then to be fully, you know, healed when you when you get out. And I think even being fully healed doesn't ever mean that it goes back the way it was. Um, you made a good can. point too. Like resiliency is in it, yeah. But part of resiliency is accepting it, yeah. You know, and Dan has accepted so many things, yeah. And it's it, and like you said, it's it may not be that hundred percent, yeah. But it's the it's that slowly by, but surely it's it's um you know less of those bad days and more of those good days, yeah. And and and. And feeling better about it every day and, and, and just, you know, feeling good about yourself and, and the people around you and, and kind of spreading that. That's it. You begin again every day. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Thank Darren. You. I love you. Love you, too. Love you, too.